I always tell people my favorite thing is when people say, well, whose side are you on? I said, I'm on the side of a successful transaction where all parties are happy at the end, which is a rarity these days. Hello, and welcome to episode 68 of the Smart Agents Podcast. My name is Michael Walter, and I'll be your host. In today's episode, we're joined by Sherman Oaks, California-based Andrew Manning. Breaking into a market as competitive as his, Andrew shares how his persistence and willingness to take every opportunity available has led to a remarkable career spanning more than three decades selling homes to and for the brightest stars in Hollywood. Now, before we get on to the day's featured interview, make sure to subscribe to the Smart Agents Podcast. You can find the show on all major podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and now Amazon Music. Also, as you can see if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the Smart Agents YouTube channel. Click the bell to get notifications when each new episode is uploaded. And lastly, if you or somebody else on your team has an inspirational story or real estate tips to share with our community, send us a message at feedback at smartagents.com. We're always on the lookout for new stories to share. All right, let's get on to the day's featured interview with Andrew Manning. I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope you do as well. Really, the way I like to start everything out is if you could introduce yourself a little bit to me, you know, kind of where you're at in the country and how you got your start in real estate. Yeah, so I'm... uh in the San Fernando Valley, uh, basically part of Los Angeles area, people would be most familiar because we're, uh, I'm based in Sherman Oaks, which is kind of in, in the Studio City Entertainment Capital area, which is close to Universal Studios and, and that kind of thing. So near Disney and Warner Brothers, we're about 15 minutes away from, from there. So a lot of people can relate to that kind of location. I, I got my start in the, in the business in college. I didn't know what I wanted. I like cars and houses and didn't figure I was going to make any money selling cars. So I, I uh, used to go, you know, as soon as I had a car, I would go to open houses and just because I found it fascinating. And I would tell people I was, you know, looking at houses for my parents and, you know, get, leave my number and I didn't know cell phones in those days. So they'd be like, oh, I'd get home messages or people like, oh, are your parents coming to look at this house? <laughs> they were really looking. I, I was just looking. So I kind of got into that at a young age and kind of, I was working like three jobs and studying to get my license in the middle of college. So I got my license uh, junior year of college. Um, and then I started uh, working. I was going to college full-time early in the morning, got off at one o'clock. Then I worked for an entertainment law firm that I got through UCLA. I got a job through UCLA where I went to college, got a job in an entertainment law firm that did family law and divorces and that kind of stuff. Worked there until about six o'clock at night and then went home and did my homework and started it all over again. So they, I did so well at the uh, law firm. I was kind of an assistant manager, if you will, but I did so well pretty soon. They started having me doing all their personal banking. They're taking up their dry cleaning, you know, doing hand delivering documents. So I met a million attorneys and people. And through that job, it was very difficult for me to get rid of that job. Cause I think in this going back to the late eighties, I was making like, I want to say 18 or $20 an hour then, which was huge money for a college kid, you know, back then that was a lot of money. So I was like, what do we need to give up this job for, for real estate where I might not make a dime, you know, but finally uh, my first full year in real estate was um, 1987 flashback. Uh, so, you know, as a kid that I got rookie of the year and just dove in, didn't know what I was doing, just in the upswing of that marketplace at that time. So I was able to, you know, got all my business by sitting open houses because I didn't have any 
clients um, and got a great start with uh, one of the secretaries in the office. I always tell the story, used to wait till everybody went home and I helped close up the office at night. And then she would two or three nights a week, she'd go into the bathroom and change into some expensive designer clothes and jewelry and stuff. And right. so I, I never said a thing. And finally, one night I said, okay, I have to ask a question because we became friendly. I said, where do you go at night? I thought, is she a lady of the night after hours or what is she doing? So she's on, my husband's a business manager for celebrities and, and actors. And so we have a lot of events and things to go to, but I wait till the other men and women are out of the office. So people don't see me changing into my fancy clothes. So she didn't really need the job, but she loved working and, so we became very friendly and it was actually her husband who gave me some of my first, you know, good buyers, which were young actors and entertainment people that whose careers grew along with mine. And so some of those people I've sold three, four or five different properties to over the years. And then that just got me into, into real estate where I would set open houses. And my, my other favorite thing I used to do is I didn't know anybody. Nobody knew who I was. So if, if I was sitting someone else's open house and a uh, and an agent would come in or a buyer would come in and say, oh, yeah, I'm working with. I, I always said, you know, who are you guys working with first to see if they had an agent? And if they said, you know, we're working with Sally Green over at Cobalt Banker, I'd be like, oh, my God, she is amazing. Tell Sally I said hello. And and I think she's wonderful. And so I got more calls from agents thanking me for saying, wow. You know, either they would pretend they knew me or they would say, I'm really sorry, I don't remember who you are, but thank you for saying such nice things about me. So it kind of helped me establish my reputation as being one of the nicest guys in the business that people want to do deals with. So that still exists today. I pride myself on my on my reputation. And my favorite thing was, I think about, I think it was 2014, maybe I got an award for, for our area for being the icon agent of the year, you know, which was voted on by managers and agents at all the different companies in our realty network. So that was kind of the biggest thing because I thought it was a joke when they called me to tell me, I'm like, really? I said, there's no, no, no. It's a whole banquet at the Universal Hilton and, you know, like 500 people came. And so there were about five of us that were honored this first year they did it. It was icon agent of the year. So it's like the Academy Award of real estate, you know, you don't get any money for it, but it was, it was nice to, to, so I tell people that all the time. It's like agents are like, I remember when you got that icon agent award. So I think reputation huge in our business. And it's something that we're, that some of the younger agents and some of the, you know, cockier, if you will, agents that are doing a ton of business. A lot of these people could care less what you think about them. They're just down and dirty and they'll mow you over and flatten you and just no help whatsoever. When I'm coming from an era where it's like, Hey, let's pick up the phone and actually talk to them, not live in the world of text and, and Instagram message and whatever. It's like, pick up the phone and call these people or maybe pre pandemic, you know, meet for lunch or, Hey, you've got somebody interested in this property or we can't seem to come together on terms, whether you're representing the buyer or the seller, let's have a meeting and, and get together try to have a meeting of the minds and strategize on how we can make this work for everybody. Right. So going back to when you were in college, what was it that made you want to get into real estate? Because that's something that, you know, I, I talked to a lot of agents and that's not a path. A lot of people will kind of go a different path at first and then end up finding their way into real estate. It's really shallow to be hundred percent honest. Cause I'm, I tell it like it is. <laughs> my parents were in real estate. My parents bought and sold apartment buildings like mm -hmm. from the seventies and eighties. 
and into the 90s, they would buy apartment buildings and my mom would paint and wallpaper and supervise carpet remodeling and they'd hold on to them for fears. They'd trade up to another one. So I got experience sort of from that end. And then they would do that on a, on a longer spread with houses as well. And their realtors that handled both was uh, two guys that were a couple. And I was fascinated with these guys because they would always come over, they're driving Mercedes convertibles and they're always in Hawaii. And I thought to myself, I want to do what they're doing. This is <laughs> not so easy anymore. But back then it was like, Hey, yeah, we could, there were two of them. So like one could be on vacation. They could both be on vacation, but they had an assistant at the time, which was an unfamiliar you know, idea to me to have an assistant, but they had a, another guy who was their assistant who was a licensed realtor who would show the property for them. So like when we were selling houses, I'd be like, Hey, you know, we're Tom and Jack. Oh, they're in Hawaii, but you know, I'm Ted. I'm their assistant. I'll be showing the house. I'm like, okay. It was like, I like this job, <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of how it started. And I always loved houses and design and, and that kind of thing. So getting that kind of a background to me, it felt like kind of a natural thing. And I would follow them around and I kind of tagged them, you know, as a teenager, I would follow them around when they were showing houses and stuff. And I, I liked the whole aspect of it. And my parents had another realtor when they, bought a property in Beverly Hills, who was a famous celebrity realtor at the, mm -hmm. at the time. And she was a whole other piece of work, but it was fun to watch her, you know, pull up in her fancy cars. And she's like telling her, this is what we're doing. And we're going to rip that wall out and we're going to put French doors in and paint it white. And I was like, Oh yeah, I could see that, you know, so like reading architectural digest. So I loved, and I also loved helping people. So it was fun. Like when I got started with buyers, you know, I would suggest that we have a meeting and sit down and say, tell me what, you know, are your 10 most important things you're looking for in a house before you even talk about price. And then sometimes you can find out if that buyer is really realistic because if they want six bedrooms and a half an acre and all this stuff and their price point is way out of whack, you know, you're probably wasting your time. But, you know, if they're realistic, and I always tell people to this day, if you, if you can find 80% of what you're looking for in the property, it's probably worth considering. It might not be the exact perfect fit, but I think in any price range, it's going to be rare that someone says, oh my God, I found out 100% of what I want. Right. When you talk about earlier, when you're getting your start, you know, going and sitting in those open houses and, you know, just, and then also the relationship that you built with the assistant, I think, you know, putting in the time and really kind of, you know, um, I guess really it is just, it's putting in that time to grow your name in the business. I think that is something that sometimes with younger or newer agents that you said, you know, are all about the texting and the immediacy of things, right. they kind of lose sight of that and lose sight of that relationship building that needs to take place to really kind of grow a sustainable business. Right. I'm a, I always tell people my favorite thing is when people say, well, whose side are you on? I said, I'm on the side of a successful transaction where all parties are happy at the end, which is a rarity these days. So when that <laughs> happens, you're excited because always somebody always gets bent out of shape. And I always tell newer agents, I said, here's the most important thing. Everybody only remembers the last thing that happens in the transaction. So you could have the absolute perfect deal. And if something goes wrong at the last minute or a closing or right after the closing, that's all they remember. Everything good from before they forget. So when people have objections that come up along the way or at that time, if it's, I'm a big problem solver. So if it's something you can solve, I never argue with the client, whether it's a buyer or a seller. I always say, gee, I can see how you might feel that way. 
let's get into that a little deeper and figure out how we can correct that or make you feel better about it. And one of my great expressions I use all the time that everybody can steal, as I say, uh, we want to make sure you're comfortably uncomfortable with whatever happens here. <laughs> you know, like that's that been a great one. For, I use that all the time. But like, oh, I get that. That's a good one. So it's like, because it, it works. No one's ever perfect. If they are, it's great, you know, but it's a rare. And I think a lot of agents strive too hard to try to make everything perfect. It's never going to be perfect. There's going to be speed bumps in every deal. There's going to be speed bumps in every listing and every buyer experience. But communication, I think, is the most important thing. I learned that a long time ago with, with clients where, you know, I'd be, oh, God, I have nothing to say, so I'm just not going to call them. Right. You know, when clients would rather have you buy or sell it, would rather say, you know, in markets that aren't like what we're dealing with today, I've dealt with several bad markets where, boy, I made it, I called it that, you know, uh, the, the manic Monday when you had to call everybody up and give them the bad news that nobody wants their house. You know, it's, it's like having an ugly baby. Nobody wants your house, it's like, you know, but have that conversation, but try to put a positive spin on it. So you were communicating, gee, I would love to be calling you and tell you that I have three offers on your house, but you know, we had a showing on Sunday. We had a showing on Saturday. Here's the feedback, but people are desperate for feedback. And what I always do too, is I always try to make sure the negative feedback is not coming from you directly as their agent, particularly in a listing end. So I say, wow, you know, I love your green walls in your family room, but the rest of the agents and the buyers looking at it are not responding to that. So do you think we might consider painting those? Cause that seems to be an obstacle in selling your house. So you agree with them and you put the blame on everybody else. Cause it keeps you looking like a star. So <laughs> that's the, that's the idea. So don't make I yourself like that. look bad. <laughs> I like that kind of deflect a little bit there. Exactly. That work that works out well. And I used to do like agents still tell me today, they're like, well, what if I don't have any money to spend on advertising and how do I learn this? And how do I learn that? There's so many free seminars and free things, great podcasts like the job you guys are doing and things like that. There's so many free things that you can do that if you have a lot of time in your hands as a new agent, or if you feel like you need to reboot as an existing agent, you know, get a new lease on life. I find listening to as many things as I can and not trying to absorb hundred percent of what anybody's saying, but taking tidbits. So like with the coaching industry, I've done some coaching in my time, but I love taking little pieces from different coaches because I find that maybe some coach or some speaker resonates with me in one area, but not in another. So I take little, you know, tidbits from each person, kind of make that my own and use it in my own business. But it's really helped me because I'm always open to the learning. You know, people have good or bad feedback. I'm really good about giving clients, you know, feedback forms at the end of a transaction, something simple saying, gee, is there anything, you know, you could tell me that could help me grow and improve my business? Because I'd really appreciate you. And, and sometimes people were like, I tell them right in the beginning, buyer or seller, it's like open line of communication. If there's anything you're happy about, I want to hear about it right away. And if there's anything you're not happy about with me or my team personally, I want to hear about it right away, not three or four weeks later when you tell me you were upset about something that happened a month ago. I want to hear about it that day so we can correct it, fix it. And I'm open to admitting I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm the first one to admit I'm wrong and say, hey, you know, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Let's correct that. That's not going to happen again. And we move on. But if it lingers and festers, bad stuff just gets worse with time. So you got to sort of nip that in the bud right away and, and create that positive energy, which is what I thrive on kind of moving forward with buyers or sellers. 
Right. And, you know, one of the, uh, I think it was in your kind of introduction video on your website, right. you know, you talk about having that initial meeting with the buyer right. or seller to have that interview. And it's really, it is a two-way interview to see if it's going to work for both parties. And so I imagine having that initial meeting and having that kind of um, interview and having that process put into place with these people, it really does set up that open line of communication going forward throughout the whole transaction. 100%. It's important things like when you go to somebody's house, like if you're interviewing, you know, before this pandemic stuff, we used to go, you know, you'd go to someone's house and you would like, hey, or you'd meet at your office or something. I love to go to somebody's house or, or place of business where they work because it doesn't really matter to me what somebody's political party, sexual orientation, but you want to know what you're dealing with. So it's like if somebody's, you know, completely right, left, center, you've got to be careful about what you're saying. You don't have to be in their party. I'm happy to sell your house. I don't have to agree with your political views, but, you know, or the way you're thinking, but I'm going to respect that that's your decision. But even though it sounds crazy, but I have a really detailed eye. So I'll go through somebody's house. Like, you know, I can't see your background, but if I was sitting there in person, I could see your degrees. I'd find out where you went to school and I tried to build some commonality. So if I, if I go to somebody's house and I see that they're USC graduate, I'm not going to mention I went to UCLA. I mean, if they look at my website, they're going to see that, but I would keep that out of the conversation. If I see they went to UCLA or Cal Berkeley or something, I'd be like, oh, you went there, I went here. I just kind of try to create a little bit of a bond while you're there. There have been times where I've met with people to their house and either the house is horrendous, they want a ridiculous price for the house in any market, uh, and or I just feel like, wow, this is not a personality match. It is rare. But what I have done in the past, especially with listings, and I've done it with buyers too, is that, wow, this is not a match for me, and I don't think this is going to go well. So what I'll usually say is I try to put a positive spin on it. Like I will tell the people, well, this is an amazing house. If it's not for me, I will say, you know, I'm going to be 110% honest with you. I don't think I'm the right guy for you, but boy, do I know somebody I think would be a great fit for you. So I've done this where I've referred people within my own company, out of my company, and I have made tens of thousands of dollars on referral fees by instead of just saying, oh, I hate that person, I'm not dealing with them, or spending six or nine months or a year of my time working with somebody where we're just not meshing, I refer them right off with a referral agreement to somebody else and I move on to the next thing and kind of keep that. And I perfect example was I had this guy call years ago and it was my very first assistant sat on the desk in front of me and he answered the phone and this, I can already hear like a screaming guy on the phone. I'm like, okay, this is not, and he said, oh, I'm, you know, he's on the phone right now. Would you mind, you know, holding on a minute? And he says, well, if he's too busy for me, then forget it. And he just hangs up the phone. So it was in the early days of caller ID. So I got the caller ID. Um, I did the, we had a reverse directory at the time, found out where the guy lived. And a friend of mine who, who was basically like the king of his neighborhood, I called up that agent who happened to be at a different company at Cobalt Banker. And I said, Stephen, I have got a client for you. And he goes, what are you talking about? I just didn't tell him the whole story. I just said, I don't feel he's a match for me, but I think he'd be a great match for you because he was another strong personality. And he went, listed the house, sold it the first day, and I got a 25% referral fee, which at the time was about $12,000. So that was the $12,000 call. <laughs> but, you know, just getting creative with some of that stuff, because I think right. I myself am equally guilty from going into these situations with buyers who these days, I think the problem with a lot of buyers, when I started in real estate, People were looking to be within like a 
a 12 block radius or with a certain school today, I don't care what part of the country you're in because of the market, the way it moves, people are looking in different suburbs, sometimes different counties. And you can be hours in cars and driving around. And it's like, if they're realistic and you get a buyer where you educate them. Cause I think the other thing that's become, I don't want to say it's lazy on the agent process, but because the market is so internet driven, most of these buyers and sellers know about the comps and what's on the market and what's sold before the agent does. And you can't even keep up with the speed of it. So you have to be honest with your client and say, look, this is all internet based. 99% of your first views are going to happen online. So there's a whole other list of things that happen with that. But when you have a listing, it's like your house has to be showtime when it goes online, because if your pictures are bad, they're just going to skip over it. If the first two pictures aren't good, they're just going to skip the rest. They're not going to look at the other 25. They're on to the next house. So you have to make sure your lead photo is a great photo that the house is captured in its best light and as best as you can possibly make it look, whether that's staging, if there's no money for that, whether it's just decluttering to make, even if it's a fixer, make it look like the best fixer you can <laughs> before you're doing it, because that's going to influence the price and increase your chances of success. Right. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times, you know, just looking at homes, it's that it's the, it, it's kind of crazy we've gotten to this point, but it is that immediacy thing. I won't even look at the interior. You know, I won't even go to the second photo if that right. first one is. You I've know, done it myself all the time. Yeah. yeah, if the colors, you know, if maybe, maybe just the color editing wasn't done right. That it's just a little bit dark. Yeah. How many? How many times have we seen those pictures that have like the moms at the sink washing dishes, or the <laughs> you know, there's dog poop on the floor, or like you know, it's. It used to be when cell phones first came out, agents were trying to, now the cell phones are so good that you can actually take decent pictures. But I always have a professional photographer, you know, I'm kind of an amateur myself, but I can, I can take decent pictures, but I like to have a professional. And then even if you don't, if you want to do your own cell phone pictures, make sure you've got a, a Photoshop or some kind of program where you can teach yourself or take a class where you can correct light changes that you can, you know, obviously we got to be careful about what we're deleting or, or Photoshopping in green lawn or whatever, but you just try and don't take out phone poles and, and office buildings and freeway on ramps <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Cause that of course is not frowned upon, but, but doing the best you can, like you don't need to have a giant budget to get things started. You can do a lot of social media marketing. You can do a lot of stuff for free or at limited cost, you know, from a marketing standpoint, you know, which includes marketing yourself as an agent. So Right. I think those are important things. Yeah. So, I mean, how, you know, you talked about building those, having that, when you first got started, the uh, business relationship that you built with the husband of this mm -hmm. uh, assistant, what were, you know, how have you grown your business throughout the years since then? You know, what are the, uh, I'd imagine a lot of referral based, you know, business and growing your name that way, but what else have you done to get yourself out? So there? I've done, it's funny with that same business manager we talked about, I just, I leased him a house about five years. I've sold, sold probably five houses for them personally over the years, but I just leased him uh, or I leased him a house about three or four years ago that they've been paying like $8,000 a month for this house. And the people, my clients, was my client, my listing as well, they moved to New York and now they want to sell it. And smartly, because the new contract had changed, I put in my contract that if the tenant buys the house, I get a two and a half percent commission and, and they are now buying the house for $3 million. So I have lost out with a lot of high profile celebrity clients. I just had one kid of a celebrity client that I leased her house and the new contract in our area 
does not have an automatic commission, I don't know how it is in, in your area or anybody listening, but be very careful because if, if you think there's even the slightest possibility that this person might buy the house, try to build in a commission for yourself in there in the event that the tenant buys the house that you know, you're getting whatever commission you want to put in there. So thank God I did it on this one because these people would have loved, my clients are great, but the seller would have loved to have thrown me under the bus and just sold it directly to the tenant. But we're selling this house for $3 million now down the road. And this is now a 30-year relationship with these people. So what I did is I started in the beginning with open house was my number one thing. <clears throat> I used to hold open houses on, on, you try to get open houses that are on decently traveled streets you know we have a sign company in our neighborhood which i was like the last station to cave in to use because i finally couldn't stand you know having 10 signs rattling on my trunk so i i hired the the sign company there's only one in our whole city and that's a fortune to use but now you know it helps me do other things so they put the signs up and down but in the old days i'd take my own sign and put it up sign like map out my route where I may get the best action from the science, but I would hold them open on Saturdays when people didn't want to do Sundays. This pandemic thing put a big wrinkle on the personal, you know, aspect. But now that things are opening up a bit, people are having more open houses and it's a little bit easier to do that. But in the beginning as a new agent, I think that's one of the best things if you can get on, you know, whether it's a condo project or whether it's a, you know, new build resale, what have you just trying to get those, those things in order so that you can, you can expose yourself to people you might not normally meet. So for me, it was open houses. It was kind of social networking with different organizations. I joined a, a tennis league and probably sold houses to at least a dozen guys in the tennis league over the years, you know, some multiple transactions where they've moved to Palm Springs or, you know, gone out of area. So multiple transactions there. If you've got involved in religious groups, there's always, you know, you know, 10 realtors at your church or temple or wherever you're going, there's, there's a lot of people, but try to make yourself stand out for, you know, for people listening, you know, the best thing you can do is have a baby because you start with all the baby groups and the play dates and all the families with that. You know, I didn't, I didn't have that aspect for me because the kids were, were older. My partner, Steve has came into the deal with older kids, but we were not involved with, uh, with play dates and play groups. But boy, I've had realtor clients. I've had realtor in my office and real people that have become realtors, like, Oh, I had a third baby just so I could get more business <laughs> because I lost all my, everybody else has a house now. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I, uh, my son's involved in baseball and everybody on that team. I mean, you just think of all the relationships that, you know, you can create on just your one single team. And oh yeah. No, and you can't, it just, because it spirals out because, it's without being obnoxious. It's like letting people know what you do for a living. It's funny. Like I'll wear my Berkshire Hathaway baseball hat and people will like ask me about it. You're at the market. You know, now I'm pretty well known in my neighborhood. It's like, now it's like the opposite. I can't take a walk in my neighborhood. I go to the market <laughs> without people going, Hey, it's Andrew Manning. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. What, you know, what do you think my house is worth now? Or can you, you know, it's like, oh, so you, you always got to be cordial with that kind of thing. But if people know what you're doing in the old days, people would have, you know, name badges. I'll see that once in a while. But even if you have a, a company shirt, you know, or something on that has a logo, you're going to get people to ask you questions about it. You know, my, my favorite thing is people always, how's the market? So no matter what it is, the market's always great. And you always say, why, why are you interested in, in buying or selling? <laughs> why do you want to know? <laughs> you know? Just to try to open that conversation. But sometimes, you know, agents in the beginning, like I was, it's like, hey, you know, buy a house today. 
a lot of times people will come into open houses and they'll have questions or stuff. And it's like, Oh, I'm happy to come look at your house. You know, even if you're not ready to sell it, you know, for, for two years or 10 years, I always like to see houses. And so then people feel the pressure off. I've gotten a lot of callbacks. I got somebody from an open house in my neighborhood that, that I did 20 years ago, who came into another house on the same block. And she came in and I recognize I've seen her at open houses before, but she's, I said, Oh, you know, are you here to see the house? She goes, no, I'm here to see you. So really she goes, she goes, I've been following you for 20 years and you treated me so nice at that first open house I came into 20 years ago and I had some questions and I needed a plumber and I needed a referral for a roofer. And you sent me all those names, even though I had just bought this house from somebody else. She said, well, now I'm retiring next year and I'd like you to, you know, to help me sell the house. I've been following you for 20 years. Okay. Long-term goals, but yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's a good, you know, expensive, good house. And then she wants to buy a condo. So it's like, two potential deals just from being nice to somebody 20 years ago. I'm not saying every deal is going to take 20 years, but sometimes you'll meet somebody, Oh, I'm never selling, never selling six months later, they get a job transfer. Something happens. They inherit money. They have a setback in their life. They need to sell. So just keeping in touch with those people. Like right now I have a, um, every single person I meet, I get their email and I put it, I have a weekly newsletter that's pretty popular. And I, if I get their email, it goes right on my newsletter. Then they start getting my newsletter and I have, so where I try to put in my newsletter, which I use a uh, constant contact, the company mm -hmm. that goes out, it costs me about 80 or $90 a week to send out this newsletter, which I do on Saturday mornings, but it, it basically just includes uh, topical articles that may not be related to real estate, but what's happening in the neighborhood, what, where to take your kids, you know, to get pumpkins for Halloween, what's happening for the holidays, you know interesting stuff of note what's happening great places you know to take a vacation interesting articles of note may splice in a little real estate information too then it will have my you know new listings that that might be open this weekend what we have in escrow and what we've recently sold with photos and video tours attached and then i, I put a map at the end this has been one of my big ones i do a map at the end real easy like it would if you were doing a google map and i take all the houses i've sold and i put a little red dot in the neighborhood where these houses are. And I said, would you like to see your house on the map? Call me today. <laughs> I like that. I like that idea. A lot of, a lot of calls from that one. And not anybody can yeah. use that in any neighborhood, but it's, it's been great. It's like, would you like to get on the map? Would you like to see your house on the map? You know, if you're like, I want to get my house on the map. Can you come over? <laughs> it's like, it's a world map that they want to be on. But yeah. Simple stuff like that can, can have dramatic impact without spending a fortune. You know, I've, gotten a lot of business over the years with old school snail mail, but I think it's more repetitive. So if people are doing farming and that kind of stuff and you don't have the money to, to spend for postage and stuff, you know, is, is it weird to do door hangers or, you know, obviously with the postal service, we're not supposed to pitch putting things in people's mailbox, but people do. Um, but there's a lot of aspects you can do where you can create a farm. Like I've had several farms over the years and, you know, I've moved a few places within the city. So now I'm, I'm based in a community called Encino. And ever since I moved here, like 20 years ago, my business is probably, you know, probably 60, 70% Encino. I don't know why, just because I'm, people know me and I'm based there are a lot of big agents in my neighborhood and a lot of construction in our neighborhood. But when you develop a name and people start recognizing you, you know, they'll want to work with you, or at least you'll get the opportunity to interview for a listing or potentially, you know, find that person in another house. Right. Well, and, you know, going back to the, the lady that's, you know, you sold 20 years later, yeah. just by 
treating her nicely and treating her the way that you would want to be treated and just really keeping everything positive. You are always going, you know, she might, and who knows maybe how many people that she told about you to, you know, their friends or her neighbors that maybe you had no, never had an interaction with her before or that person before, but because she, you know, that referral, just that one positive interaction, you know, it can go it such funny. a long she, way. It was almost stalkerish because then when I went to her house, she opened up this file cabinet. She's probably in her late 70s. She opened up this file cabinet and had like every a flyer in every house I'd sold in the neighborhood the last 20 years. So I was like, that's a little, I don't even know that. <laughs> but it was cool. So I thought, okay, well, she's a, she's a fan. I like it, you know, and do, doing that. But I found that being nice to people and saying, hey, do you have any questions? Even if you're not selling your house or not buying one, you know, I have a great, uh, contact list of people I'm happy to share with you if you need a roof or a plumber or whatever. And that kind of thing creates contact. They get on my email list. I do, you know, holiday, I do a holiday email list. I do, you know, e-cards. And I also still do, you know, old fashioned holiday cards, which I usually do like this year we're doing, we did a Thanksgiving thing where we're just thankful thankful that you're a part of our lives, you know, kind of signed by our team. Right. We appreciate your friendship and business and that kind of thing. And we could just send that out to everybody, but it didn't get lost in the holiday shuffle. So I find if you, if you do the holiday thing, and a lot of people just get busy at the holidays, there's nothing wrong with kicking off the new year and maybe doing, Hey, what a crazy year we've had wishing you a great 2022 and you could do something in January. Right. So there's no fine season, but I think that the, the continued contact and repetitive contact over time is what's going to get you business, you know, whether it's people seeing your face or whether they're on your list. Cause my, my contact list is about 10,000 people now. So it's like, I put home inspectors on there. I had a, a guy yesterday referred me a client who's an audio visual guy that installs security systems and stuff. And he's like, he says, yeah, I went to this house and, I, and I've done work for this girl. And she's like a Disney star. And she's, I think you'd be a perfect fit for her low key, no pressure. And she's looking for a $4 million house. I'm like, that's coming from the AB guy putting in their security system. So it's like, cause he's on my list. Right. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, my, and it's funny over the years, price points, like when I first started the first house I sold was, I think, a, you know, 189,000, you know, and this was uh, my very first open house. I sat by myself after a, a mentor period. I'm sitting by myself at an open house and three people come in without agents. They all want to buy it. This is like late eighties, crazy market at the time. And I was like, I call my manager. I'm like, what do I do? Three people want to use me. She goes, pick the one that you think is the most likely to buy it and, and work with them and refer the other two to other agents. And so I did. And it was funny. What ended up happening is that was my first open house. It took me, I sold the house to my own buyer. You know, I didn't have the listing, but it was my first open house. Sold, sold that house to one buyer, sold that house again about seven years later when they moved. And then of those three buyers I met, I ended up selling the other two. One of them took 10 years. <laughs> they just sort of passed, they went, the market went down and they didn't want to buy it. Then it was going back up again and they got priced out of the market and ended up selling them a townhouse. But it was 10 years later. I just kept, <laughs> kept on them. I know they didn't, but they were renting this whole time. It was ridiculous, but they finally sold them a, a house that I think townhouse, I think they're still in, but wow. yeah, so, persistence. <laughs> you know, talking about that, you know, the longevity and being in the business for 35 years now, you know, we have been in a crazy market the last 18 months or so. And there's a lot of newer and not even young agents, but just new agents that have gotten into the market in this period that haven't had to go through the tougher times. 
and eventually it's going to come back. You know, things aren't going to always be like this. Right, what, right. Would, what would you say to them that have never, you know, to those agents that have never had an experience where the market was, was pretty rough? It's tough because with the, with rough in the way that it's so active, like I have that with buyers too, because I do mainly listings, but I have, you know, referral buyers or my sellers buying something and boy, it is rough because I have, I have one client who was looking for an investment property in, in Burbank near Universal Studios. And we've made offers on, I think, 12 or 13 houses. And this guy's a doctor, 25% down, clean as a whistle. Lose, but, but people are writing these crazy offers with no inspections and no this and no that. So I, I counsel agents and clients really carefully because it's like, you don't want to be so pushy because you just want to get rid of these people and sell them a house and be done. I think people respect you more for saying, like I've talked more people out of buying houses than into buying them. I'm saying, this is a nightmare. Look at the cracks in the wall, the retaining walls tilted over, you know, you need a geological report, the chimneys tipped over, whatever, just people respect you more for pointing things out as much as they may love a house. It can turn into a disaster. If you sell somebody a house that is really not a good property for them. And then they, call you a year or two later and they're like, Hey, guess what? We're being transferred. We want you to sell the house. And you're thinking, Oh my God, this house, the miracle it sold the first time. I don't think we're going to be able to, <laughs> to do it again. You know, everything's going to sell at a price. But I think with these newer agents, the problem is patience is so hard, but I think honesty is the most important thing. And being the information source for your client, whether it's a buyer or a seller and being able to say to them, hey, you know, people with legalities in California and, and some of these states, you're really careful about who you refer, but see if your client is the type of buyer where they're very intense. They may want to interview home inspectors themselves. Great. Knock yourself out. Here's three good ones. You talk to them and you pick who you want. You know, got to be really careful about saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to have my home inspector come over, you know, because if something goes wrong, then suddenly it becomes your guy. It's not the home inspector. It's your guy didn't find this and your guy didn't find that. Now it makes you look bad. So I think I always like to tell people, look, I normally give people three choices. Here they are. Would you like to call them and interview these inspectors? Or would you like me to recommend one? If I recommend one, I'm telling you, there's nothing in it for me here. I'm just saying this is somebody I've had a good experience with, but I don't take responsibility for what they find or they don't find. Right. <laughs> just as long as we had, I put that in writing in an email too. So they can't say your guy missed this or missed that. But I think giving people the opportunity, most of the time I'll find most people will say, oh yeah, just let's use who you like, you know, or if you have a recommendation from a friend that recently bought a house, let's use that guy. Because the more you can distance yourself from it, the less it's going to come back against you. But being that sort of limitless source of information where you can say, let me have my plumber come over and check this out. If we're concerned about low water pressure, these buyers come in and start turning on faucets like they're moving in. Um, let's have my plumber come over and check that out. You know, if you're really concerned about that, we can have a general inspection. We'll have my plumber. If there's a roof issue, be proactive and kind of providing those sources up front because people will appreciate it versus them saying, Hey, I guess I got to find a roof or a plumber to come out. So if you've got somebody good, you trust, Feel free to give them that list of referrals or provide them with that source because I think that will come back saying, oh, we love your guy. He did a great job. You know, that's what you want to hear. You don't want to hear, you know, this guy's a problem or you should have told me to get a chimney inspection because now, you know, it's falling down. You know, those kind of things. So providing that as much information as you can. As a seller, I think setting expectations up front for buyers and sellers, particularly sellers, we're planning out the process, tell them how this is going to work. You know, right. here's what we do. This is why pricing is so important. This is why pictures are so important because your first 
contact is going to be online and this is what happens. And then actually bring your, your computer over and show them. Let me show you some bad ones because we've got plenty of those where you can show them some. So this is what you don't want to do with your house. And this is why this house isn't selling. So maybe pick some houses in your market that have been lingering on the market that may have terrible pictures and go, this is probably one of the reasons why this house isn't selling. It's always priced, but I think the big thing is if you're not representing properly on here, that's why this house is not selling. You don't want to be that house. You want to be this one and show them maybe yourself or somebody else. I'll send them photos where it's the um, agent preview where it cuts out the agent's information. So if you're sending them pictures from another agent, you can say this is one where they you know, did a really good job. You don't have to say it is or isn't your listing. But you can say, here's an example of what I like to see how I like to see a property marketed. So without saying it's your listing, and if you're a new agent, you have no listings, I wouldn't say that. When I, when, I, when, that, when I had that case, I would say, you know what? All the properties I had are sold. Because <laughs> I have no listings. Yeah. But if you have no listings, just say, isn't it great? I have all the time in the world because all of my other listings are sold. You could have never had a listing in your life and that's not really lying. It's like, Everything I had is sold. So all my attention is 100% dedicated to you. And there's a lot of people that like that. They don't want to hear that you have 50 listings and, you know, that you're busy, busy, busy. They want people to be active, but you don't want to seem so busy that you don't have time for them. And my, my other big word of advice to people is uh, be careful what time you answer your phone or you start texting people. Because if someone's text you at six in the morning and you answer back that is open license for seven days a week. You're now available at six in the morning. Right. You know, if you set the boundaries up front, if you've spent time with your family or you cut off your hours at certain times, set that straight right up front. You know, here's my, my deal. I have dinner with my wife and kids, whatever it is. And, you know, I cut off at this time. If you have an emergency or there's an urgent question, you know, text me and I will absolutely keep my eye on the phone and get back to you as soon as I can. But if you're making yourself nuts, answering people at 11 and 12 at night, six in the morning, you're going to go crazy. Cause I used to do that. I'd be like, be available 24 seven. You know, it's like, it's like people are impressed when you do that, but I, I have two assistants. My one assistant about 15 years moved to Kentucky a few years ago. So she's three hours ahead of our time zone. So she's unbelievable. So when people send emails that they're like, I love your office. You know, I got an answer at, at, at 530 in the morning. And I'm for sure that wasn't me. It was Robin. <laughs> so those, those are good aspects and things you can do. If you're awake at that early and you don't mind, then great. I just had a deal with another agent who's like, hey, I'm up at 530. I'm like, you know what? I get up early, but I'm not working at 530. So, you know, if you want to handle the early morning calls, I'm really good if they want to talk at eight or nine o'clock at night, not good at six in the morning. So we kind of divide up the, uh, the duties there. Right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to oh, us. It's my and, pleasure. You know, it's always great. Yeah. I just think that's, what's so great about this industry is the sharing of knowledge. That yeah, no, I'm always happy to help. If anybody has questions, uh, you know, on anything, uh, it's easy. I'm just, uh, Andrew at andrewmanning.com is the, is the email, which is fine. So if anybody has questions or anything, I'm always happy to help people out and wherever they are. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time. A pleasure. Absolutely. Great to meet you. I really want to thank Andrew for taking the time to talk with us today and share his knowledge and tips gained over the course of his remarkable career. So once again, if you think you or somebody else on your team has an awesome story or tip to share with our community, send us a message at feedback at smartagents.com. Well, that wraps things up for this episode. But remember, follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to subscribe to the Smart Agents YouTube channel. 
Again, I'm Michael Walter, and we'll see you on the next episode.